Back in the 90s, once an actor made the jump from TV to movies, it wasn't a good idea to go back to TV. But what if you had a couple of TV actors in a movie where they got sucked back into a TV and had to appear on a bunch of TV shows? You can't change the channel on this one, so stay tuned as we attempt to prove to you that stay tuned is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And I'm not going to outwardly age myself, but this is kind of bringing me back to a time when sitcom stars reigned supreme and it was really cool when they made the jump to film. Because we are talking about 1992's Stay tuned and we have a triple feature here for you on our little you know movie show on audio uh because joining me as usual my lovely wife carrie carrie welcome to the show hello thank you and returning to the show since the first time since he blew my mind to prove that a vince vaughn and owen wilson film actually had a ton of heart tim mccarthy from the 20 tim minutes podcast tim welcome back man how you doing I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, the uh, internship wasn't a bad movie. I, I, I'm i not going to lie. The number of times I have gone back and referenced that episode about films that either um, are directed by Sean Levy or scored by Christoph Beck or surprisingly amounts of, of heart in a film you don't expect it from, that film surprised me. I'm not going to lie. Yep, yep. So before we get into this, you're the one who brought Stay Tuned to us. And I'm not going to lie, I if I watched this when it came out, I don't remember it. But what is it about this film that made you want to uh, to talk about it and defend it? It's such a great movie as a kid when I was growing up. It's like 90s to the max. It's It has John Ritter who is like just straight up lovable in everything he does, like his face and just mannerisms and the way he acts. I just absolutely love. Then you have Pam Dauber, who was in Mork and Mindy, who is an absolute delight as well. And the reason I like this movie it just reminds me of my childhood growing up. And it was just like a movie that no one else saw. It was almost like Harry and the Hendersons in a way where it's like a lot of people I knew didn't see that movie. So it's stay tuned. It's kind of like for those people that don't see all like the big name movies, they're like, you know what? Stay tuned's pretty good. And I'm like, you know, people are legit when they like stay tuned. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I, lo- I love the fact that you put that John Ritter was adorable in this. I don't know if John Ritter ever did, you know, played like an out and out villain during his career uh, before he passed away. But I, I just can't picture John Ritter in any kind of evil villain role. Cause it'd be like, Oh, you're adorable. Go back to your yeah, evil ex- layer. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Okay, but before we get into this 1992 wonderful film, it is time to take Stay Tuned and Trailerize It. Imagine if you got sucked into a virtual world like Tron, but instead of being sent to the grid, you got sucked into UHF. Meet Roy Nabel. He hates his job, hates the fact that he can't get a better job, hates that he doesn't have the energy to better his lot in life and spends all his time mindlessly watching TV until he's memorized entire movie scripts and can recite them verbatim and... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Since when was watching TV bad? TV has brought us all the most important moments in human history. The moon landing, the fall of the Berlin Wall, Madonna kissing Britney. TV is our friend. TV raised us. We will not speak ill of TV. (sighs) Where was I? Oh, yes. Apparently, TV is the gateway to hell, and we're all going to get sucked in if we don't turn it off. Well, there's always podcasts. John Ritter stars in Stay Tuned. Rated PG for parodies of greatness. (laughs) I love... (laughs) I absolutely love that you mentioned UHF. Uh, there's the thing, and and we kind of have to put this out on Front Street here. UHF came out, if I remember correctly, in 1989. This came out in 1992. So, Tim, I'm, I'm going to throw this one at you here. Which film parodied better, UHF or Stay Tuned? Because it feels like they kind of were on the same boat on this one. You know what? You're going to really catch me right here, and I'm going to feel real bad. I've never seen UHF. <gasps> Yeah, I know, I know, and and Beard Al podcast is not going to be happy with me. I was never a- sat down and watched it yet. 
<laughs> I was about to say, I may have to tag the Beard Owl podcast and and completely throw you under the bus on this one here. Um, oh, it's totally fine. You can just you can run that thing back over me. I know. I know. Hand up. Hand up. <laughs> well, you have enough time before this episode's released to quickly go find it somehow. I don't even know if it's out there, but uh, try to find it and, and give it a watch. Exactly. The, the clock it's is good. ticking. You have time to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I really do. I'm going to have to. I think it's on Amazon Prime, I think. Oh, if not, I'm sure it's out there somewhere to be watched. I'm sure it is with the resurgence of Weird Al and the the Weird movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, A, I can't picture Harry Potter as Weird Al Yankovic, but I'm kind of here for it and it looks a lot of fun. We haven't actually watched that film yet, but it, it needs to happen. Yeah, I got to watch that one too. I'll do that back to back. I'll do a double feature. Yeah, and send an apology note to the Beard Owl podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but th- this film stars John Ritter, Pam Dauber, Jeffrey Jones, Eric King, Eugene Levy, David Tom, and Heather McComb. And there is an almost starring in this one. First off, there's a scene in this film. We're going to talk about a lot of parodies in here, but there was a scene in this film where they did Dwayne's Underworld. And, you know, if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you're going to love the fact that they put a Wayne's World parody in this. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were both offered cameos in this film, but they had to turn it down because they were busy working on the Wayne's World movie at the time. Mm, fair enough. Good excuse. It is a fair, completely fair. It would have been, <laughs> I mean, they nailed it. The, the, the people they had doing that, and I don't know who it was, but they nailed it. But that would have been funny as hell. But also, as Roy Nabel, under consideration for the role, was Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious what what you guys would think about Dan Aykroyd in that role. See, I don't know if I can answer without a dropping a big spoiler. Mm, oh, really? Okay, okay. So, Tim, what do you think? I think he could have done it with the uh, with it being in '92. Like he was pretty much at like a big, big name. I think they probably would have done a lot of better in the box office with a name like Dan Aykroyd instead of um, John Ritter. But I can, I can. I could picture him in that role for sure. I'm just going to put this out there and I'm not trying to, you know, steal Carrie's thunder on her spoiling here, but the fact that John Ritter himself is a sitcom star and Dan Aykroyd, I mean, yes, he was on Saturday night live, but I mean, and, 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 uh, and other, but never a sitcom. Mm -hmm. Would it have lost some of the almost meta ness? The fact that John Ritter is a TV, you know, former TV star made the jump to movies now back to TV. Do you lose some of that meta? And and Carrie, I'm going to throw that one to you first, though. Well, I agree. Um, <laughs> saved, deleted. <laughs> um, no, I absolutely agree. Um, because I mean that that would have been my point is that I think the best part of this movie is that John Ritter was the star and uh, did a, a revisit. Of the show that made him famous. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Tim, mm. the fact that Dan Aykroyd wasn't a sitcom star, would that have changed it for you if he was in this film? You guys are a lot smarter than me, so a little bit, a little bit, yeah, because just for the fact that he was a TV star and now he's in a movie about watching TV, and then you alluded to something that he's also been in, I think that's like a triple threat right there. So I do agree that it keeps, it keeps its honesty with John Ritter as uh, Roy Nabel. And I also have to add Tim that I so agree that John Ritter is just incredibly adorable in this. Like you can't be mad at him. Even in that scene where his wife is like, you pay more attention to the TV than to me. I'm leaving you, blah, blah, blah. Like you still, he's just so gosh darn adorable that you feel bad for him. Like, (laughs) I don't know if Dan Aykroyd could have nailed that endearingness. Like, even though, yeah, he, you know, he is connected to the TV more than his wife, you still feel bad for the guy. Well, she tried to interrupt yeah. him during the, you know, double overtime of a Boston Celtics game. No, su- <laughs> Supersonic Spurs, uh, Supersonics. Oh, that's right. Who were they playing, though? I'm, I'm trying to remember who they were playing. Uh, I think it might have been the Blazers, if I'm if I'm not yeah, mistaken. I, I think I it saw, was Sonics Blazers. Oh, that's right, because he had a Sonics hat on. So I apologize. I I thought it was the Celtics one. I thought you were more connected to <laughs> because of that. But also, uh, the studio had initially had plans to have this film starring, instead of John Ritter and Pam Dauber, Richard Dreyfus and Tracy Ullman 
but apparently their salaries would have been too much, so they went with Ritter and Dauber. Richard Dreyfus, not so much for me, but Tracy Ullman would have been interesting in this one. Tim, what do you think? Tracy Ullman? Um, I didn't know about that. That's uh, super interesting. Were they supposed to be... Were they really considered for it, or were they just like kind of like just acting? Like yeah, they I, just I, thought I it have, was be? from what I read on IMDb, they were the couple that they had written down on paper, and then they saw their salary demands and like, yeah, we can't afford that, so let's go with John Ritter and Pam Dauber. Do you think it changed the script though? I mean, I, it had to have. I, I think maybe the Three's Company sketch in the as he's you know going through all the different shows that was probably added once they realized they had him, but I don't think it would have changed too much. This film is directed by Peter Hyams, and I apologize if I got that name wrong. Uh, he previous to this he had directed Running Scared and The Presidio. Uh, but he also followed this up with Time Cop and End of Days. So it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, and Sudden Death. Exactly, right? Uh, He has not directed a movie, however, since 2013, but it almost wasn't him in the director's chair. This film was originally offered to one Mr. Tim Burton. Whoa, and I can see that. Mm Mm-hmm. He turned it down to do Batman Returns, but Carrie, like... If Tim Burton's in the director's chair for this, does it change how you see it? Ooh, I, and this is going to be a a big statement, but I think it would have made it better. The whole underworld, the whole very dark tone, I think would have either been really darker or, I don't know, just more out there. I mean... It would have been interesting to see the Tim Burton cut. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned like hell would have been darker. Tim, before we were recording, we were talking about how this film, you know, could easily be shown on TV today. Your kids could watch it. It's perfectly fine. If Tim Burton directs this, does that change uh, the rating? Does that change the accessibility for everyone in the family? I feel like back in the 90s, you could label like anything PG, even if it wasn't PG-13. I feel <laughs> like this one might have pushed the envelope and would have been PG-13 because I feel like the the list of TV shows that uh, Roy and Helen go through, they're all great. But I feel like he would have made them a little bit more sadistic in, in a, a bit of a way with like his animation and just like his claymation or whatever he does. It just would have been more darker. And I agree with Carrie on that one. Although that being said, as they're going through uh, like all these different show idea titles, I guess, or shows that would have been on Hellvision, um, and the last one that they say is that David Dukes of Hazard, and we're just like, ee, that one's a little, yeah. A lot of them are funny. I'm surprised they didn't do Family Dies instead of Family Ties, but mm. that could it could have been fun. It's, it's almost like one of those things where you're sitting there and all of a sudden you start thinking about all these TV shows and how they would have changed it. However, this film didn't do all that well at the box office. It had a budget of $25 million, which 1992, that, that that's a lot of money, um, only made worldwide $10 million. Mm. Domestically, it only spent two weeks at the box office when it debuted on the August 14th, 1992 weekend, according to the numbers.com, it debuted at number six with only $3.5 million. The number one film that week was Unforgiven in its second week. The number one debut that week was Single White Female. It debuted at number two. And if you're taking a look at the top 10, like just the movies ahead of it, aside from those two, Death Becomes Her, Three Ninjas, and A League of Their Own. So, I mean, it's a mm. good week at the box office, but I mean, A League of Their Own, seven weeks at that point in the theaters, and it still beats Stay Tuned. I if I recognize that a lot of the times we say that, you know, movies from that era on this show were probably better served direct to VHS, and I have to say VHS because we're talking 1992. Yep. But, uh, Tim, I'm going to ask you, the first time you saw this film, was it in theater or was it at home on like a VHS, like a blockbuster rental? Oh, 100% a blockbuster rental. I don't even remember this thing being in the movie theater. <laughs> you, you say a league of their own. They're a league in their own with going up against that. 
Oh, exactly. Like seven weeks in and you're still in the top five. That that movie is an absolute gem. Uh, oh. But Carrie, I'm going to ask you, because you and I have gone down this blockbuster road many, 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 many times. And, the, you know, the whole seven movies for seven days, there it was such a discoverability factor of that. And I feel like you get that, you lose that with streaming because you're just mindly watching trailers and you can't really decide on something. Would movies like this find a resurgence if video stores existed today? You know, it's an interesting question because, A, I don't know how this movie escaped our radar in our, you know, walking up and down the aisles of Blockbuster and picking our seven movies. How is it that it took until 2023 Mm -hmm. that we watched this movie? I mean, personally, I don't know. Did you see it? I haven't ever. I I don't remember watching it, but, you know, I'm not going to lie. I watch a ton of movies and some of them aren't always remembered. But I love the fact that you mentioned that we're watching this in 2023. That means this film, and I'm sorry to make you all feel old, is 31 years old. (laughs) And I am so, so grateful that... I now, after 31 years, am enjoying this because it's just such a, for me, it was such a personal flashback of when TV sitcoms were the bomb. Oh, yeah. You know, like after school, you'd watch your line of um, after after school after dinner oh, yeah. TV sitcoms and, and like you think family about ties must and- see TV on NBC right oh. which you know one of the greatest TV slogans of all time but you know you had like you know Cosby show different world cheers night court like all these shows and now you're seeing that resurgence right night court is now back on TV with John Lauerkett still involved like i think there's there's a nostalgia for TV of that era and i think that if your city or your town has a video store, support it and go rent some movie. Rent a movie you never would have picked on Netflix and just, you know, expand the horizon there. Or likewise, just do a random search on Netflix. Yeah. On ne- Tubi. Tubi's great for it. Netflix has that though. Like the the I can't decide, you pick a movie for me. And it basically uses movies that you've watched in the past to pick something for you. So that'd be fascinating. I'd be really curious about that. But aside from Tim picking this film, which, by the way, Tim, are you okay after I mentioned that this film is 31 years old? Yeah, I just finally woke up after passing out after that one. (laughs) (laughs) Breathe, Tim, breathe. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, this film over on Metacritic has a meta score of 42. And on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 55% and the Tomatometer is only 47. Now, that's one of the higher rated films that we have talked about on this show, but it still seems a little low. Tim, why do you think the critics only rated this at 47%? And I I think even more surprising is the audience score of 55. I don't know. That's like the one thing I try to think about because like the movie doesn't do anything bad in a way. It's not like it, it... It rubs people the wrong way. It's like a silly movie that like you just have fun with. So I think they they took it too literally and like overjudged it. And maybe they thought that they were just uh, getting by, just making up fake names and and making making it easy for them. I don't know. It's just it's very weird because like who doesn't like John Ritter? Like I think we're all John Ritter stands at this point. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. So I don't know why they would give it such a low grade. I I, I guess it might depending on like what it went up against during like the movie, like again, like you put it up against a league of their own uh, single white female, like those types of movies were out and you just have stay tuned. It's like, they were probably like who asked for this movie? I can see them saying that like, who asked for this? All right. So let's get into the weeds here and figure out what the best parts of this film are. We're going to start with John Ritter, who of course stars as Roy Nabel. Carrie, you've already mentioned that, you know, you absolutely love John Ritter. So how was he for you? He was absolutely perfect. And I love that no matter which scenario, no matter what scene, what television sitcom he was in, he owned the part or his role in that scene, like where it was black and white and he was the detective. He just, um, he was so great. Or um, when he was in the, the Western and tried to save his wife, like he just... No matter what role he played, he is literally the chameleon of actors. 
He's just so great in everything. And there wasn't a scene where I was like, eh, it doesn't quite work. <laughs> he was just I loved him when he was Prince, when he was dressed up as Prince dancing with salt and pepper. I, I was a big fan of that. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> Complete lack of ego. So Tim, what does John Ritter bring for you for this film? What he brings to me is, first off, he's a, I call him Red Flag Roy because there was a lot of little red flags coming at him during that movie. And uh, like like when uh, he, like uh, Spike shows up and out of nowhere and he takes his fencing sword and like throws it up against the wall, like Roy doesn't think anything of that. And then he gives him this big satellite dish and he's like, oh yeah, that's normal. So I think he has a lot of red flags about him. But again, yeah, he was, he was just great in the movie. Every scene I loved him in, I loved him when he was watching the TV shows when Another red flag when he's watching, what was it, sadistic hidden videos, when he's watching that woman get told her husband's dead. And he, he's just like, yeah, that's, I guess that's the TV show. Like, it just, it's just very funny how they portrayed him in that movie. Like, he was just so ignorant and dumb, but he was just so lovable. Well, I mean, we, we have to give Roy a little bit of um, you know leeway here because he's going through a bad breakup. Um, I mean, between him and his broken TV at that point, yeah. because that's part of the, 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 the loss he feels the most. But I mean, in saying that, I mean, we can all agree and we all have agreed already that John Ritter is was one of the most lovable actors of his time. But Roy... Is it hard to see what Helen actually liked in Roy? I think we saw, I think we didn't see a lot of what Roy could have been um, because he was big into fencing. So I think he had a lot of hobbies. He was out. They used to go away together, um, which was surprising when he said we used to go away together. And she goes, there's no TVs. He's like, no TVs. He's like, is there a plug? Like he was, he was addicted to the game. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And then, and that's the thing like TV has become his his almost crutch you know and you know day sucks job sucks go home watch tv tv makes it all better uh carrie take john ritter out of the equation how's roy for you see i'm going to go very deep here i think that it was his escape from a life that didn't make him very happy at all his job was awful and he was maybe not the greatest at it you have to wonder if there were more relationship issues um and i mean even his children i think felt a bit of a disconnect mm -hmm. with him um you know enough to for his son to like create a television show to reach out to get his dad's attention right um so it was definitely his his escape um and i think there's probably i don't know if there were a backstory to their relationship or their home life. I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't happy. And, uh, and that's why you said the breakup with the TV was probably the more daunting of the breakups <laughs> <laughs> over the, you know, crumble of his marriage. Um, Which I will say, sweetie, that if you do throw anything through our TV, don't worry. I will not fall into a pit of despair. We have more TVs in the house. We're good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, let's, but let's move on to Helen Abel as played by Pam Dauber. I'm going to say this right now. I love the fact that they put John Ritter into um, Three's Company. I thought that was a brilliant meta. Deadpool would approve. He would stand up and applaud at that one. Yeah. But Tim, for you... Uh, a, how is Pam Dauber? But B, did you feel a little cheated that there were no Mork and Mindy references at all? I wonder if that was like a licensing thing where they couldn't do it. Um, but she she was great in it. Um, she had a great like. This is such nineties. Um, like what is it like? Like jokes or like they say something negative about somebody. She says um, something to him. It's like you couldn't. She, your leadership skills couldn't get us out of a t-shirt. Like like that was one <laughs> of her digs at Roy when they were in the uh, the ice with the uh, wolves. Um, so there was there was a great like '90s line right there. I felt like it's like your leadership skills couldn't get us out of a t-shirt. I was like, oh, she got him good with that one. Um, but yeah, I felt a little bit cheated because you feel like it was going to come soon enough because of the whole three's company thing. But like a, a quick Mark and Mindy reference would have been great. Yeah. Or even if uh, they referenced that uh, she was on another sitcom called My Sister Sam, it would have been a, a bit of a deeper cut. But I mean, she was on that for a number of years. So that could have been there as well. But it, it probably was a licensing issue. Plus, I don't know how John Ritter would look in that, you know, that Mork from Mork jumpsuit. But yeah. Carrie, uh, how was Pam Dauber for you? I thought she was great, but I don't think her character 
was flushed out enough. I don't think we saw enough of her. Um, I mean, you clearly saw that she was most likely the breadwinner of the family, um, the successful, you know, wife that just wanted her husband's attention. She just wanted to to get away and go on a vacation um, mm-hmm. or even just for him to notice her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know what? In the, it was almost kind of like there was a turnaround. Um, I, th- I think it was after they were animated in that uh, um, mouse sketch, mm-hmm. which I'm still trying to figure out what that show was. I mean, it, it was clearly uh, like a, a, a Looney Tunes type, spin, you know. Like Tom and Jerry or. No, I think more Looney Tunes. Frame Roger Rabbit almost. Uh, to a point without the live action, but yeah. Like I a- recognize the mice though. Like, were they from. Well, Looney Tunes, you know, made up episodes based on rando animals sometimes too, and it didn't have to be a recurring character. So I think it definitely had that feel. Definitely the music had that feel. There was no question about that. Mm-hmm. I, I do have to give Pam Dauber a lot of credit because according to IMDb, she was five months pregnant when filming this movie. Um, but I do what wish... You mentioned that her character wasn't all that flushed out. Even if there was a scene where she was flipping through like a photo album and we saw like even her pining for the days when you know Roy was more active happier the two of them were happier together it would have given a bit more backstory to the two of them but I mean when they both fall into into hell vision she's the one for the first couple of shows she's the one figuring everything out and it took a while for at least me personally to start to actually root for Roy because even when they're in the thick of it, she's still the one solving everything. And I think that's very reflective of their relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe again, that was the catalyst for his escapism in the first place. I don't know. I, I, I can see that. But I mean, Tim, how do you see the dynamic with Roy and Helen? Was this something that happened, you know, clearly over time or is this... Is this built from resentment from the job or or resentment to her success for Roy? I don't think he was resentful for it. He he seemed genuine in that wrestling scene when he said that. It, it is funny. Opposites do attract, and she, like you said, I, you pointed that out. She was like the catalyst in like the young son hero of like getting them out of that jam, and she probably did that their whole life, where she always dragged him out of the pits or dragged him out of like despair. So I think like her battle against the TV was one of her greatest battles and she wasn't winning. So now that she's in the TV with them, she's pretty much proven without her even knowing that she's doing that where she's, she's getting him away from the TV. They're on like a quote unquote vacation. Like they said at one point, um, but no, yeah, they're a little bit of opposites. I think their dynamic was, was bad, but it came good. My question to you is, do you think they're still together? I think they are. I, I think, I think going through hell vision, not necessarily the fact that they, they kind of got, back together afterwards kind of thing but i think it's one of those things where you saw at the end that he opened up his fencing academy he was no longer that plumbing parts salesman going door to door uh and hoping upon hope that someone's going to buy these things it kind of reminded me of the pursuit of happiness and will smith's character in that how he would carry that medical imaging device around with him the whole time and that that's what he sunk his his life savings into in order to try and make it big so you can see how the change of job changes his personality um i i do i do have to say that there was a missed moment of realization early on for roy and it came out of hell and when they're in that game show the the you can't win one and the guy poses the questions like you know you know, who's been seeing a former lover? Was it Roy? Was it Helen? Or was it Roy and Helen? And she says, you know, you know, we both are and we're the former lovers. Roy didn't react to that. No, like he didn't at all. Like Helen knows what's up. Roy was still clueless at that point. So, I mean, I think it was a great performance. And I love the pairing of Ritter and Dauber. Like they're both adorable actors. I thought I I always I loved Mork and Mindy, but how were they as a couple? Carry for you. You know what I? Again, I think it had to play out the way it did, um, and the fact too that um, he he went back for her. You know, if the relationship really had dissolved and that would have been it, then that would have been it. Like mm-hmm. he would have been okay, I'm back, I'm home, everything's good. 
But no, there was genuine love there. Yeah. And I think that made it perfect. And and yeah, the ending where it was almost kind of like this was literally the kick that he needed to get off the couch. It uh, had to happen. You know, uh, getting sucked into hell vision. Yeah. Although it, I'm not going to say if anyone offered me one of those chairs that has the beer fridge on the side and the, you know, the toilet seat built in and you can flush right away so you don't have to stop watching TV. Count me in. But let's move on. The, the napper crapper. The napper crapper. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Let's move on to Spike as played by Jeffrey Jones, who basically, you know, his very presence personifies the 80s and 90s. Uh, Tim, how was Jeffrey Jones for you? I think he was a good, good part for this movie. Like, again, like he was such a 90s guy as well. Um, Yeah, I can't. There's not much to say about him. Um, Not a great person in real life, but he's uh, as an actor, like in that movie, he's he's very interesting. He's like he's got the red hair. So it's kind of like the old devil like color a little bit. Um, And yeah, he's definitely he's definitely got a way about him. He definitely can smooth people. Um, He has a way with his words. He doesn't really care. Um, but yeah, he was all right in the movie. I wasn't like, I could see so like, I would probably like to see somebody else in that role. I'm not sure who, but I think I could do someone else in that role. Like, like if they did like a, um, trying to think who they could do. I, I can't think off the top of my head, but there, there would be somebody else. I think that could do his role. It's funny before we started recording, um, you know, Carrie was, you know, wasn't he in this? And I think, I, you know, I'm like, Oh, you're thinking of Howard Hesman. Howard Hesman would have been awesome in this role. Of course, another sitcom actor from head of the class and WKRP in Cincinnati. But Carrie, how was he for you? Yeah, well, again, his just his face, his presence. When when I saw him, I was like, "E, it's that guy from." And then listing his previous <laughs> filmography, um, I think he definitely was perfect for the role he was playing for that dark, evil character. Um, because I mean that that's pretty much the role that I remember him from Beetlejuice. He was kind of 
Yeah, from Beetlejuice and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Howard the Duck. He plays don't, evil. Don't say Will. it one more time. You, you <laughs> no, guys no. said it twice already. I, 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 that we, Beetle guy. We're getting there. <laughs> one more time, and Batman shows up. Okay. How bad could it be? <laughs> uh, for for the record, by the way. Um, you know, as we always say on this show, we are not judging people by what they do in real life. We are only right. specifically talking about their role in the film. Has he done horrible things in his personal life? Yes, he absolutely has. Uh, we're not touching that. We are only focusing on the movie. So don't add us to this one. We're just talking about a rare moment in cinematic film history. We're not talking about the person. Um but I have a feeling that, you know, someone like a Howard Hespin also would have been very, very good in this. And I think it would have really kind of almost tripled down on the, the, the TV aspect of it. Oh, especially if they threw in a WKRP, which I was really disappointed that they didn't go a little further back in television history. Mm. But again, I think a lot of it was rights. Um, they pretty much worked with what they what could, they could, what they could get. Um, and the budget too that they spent it was twenty five like, million. That's you know you got to imagine that most of it would probably be to to pay for rights and likenesses. Mm-hmm. Now Tim, I'm going to ask you because you know Carrie brought this up. You know they didn't want to maybe go too far back into TV history. You know we're not talking WandaVision where we're going through decades here, <laughs> but. Is this film a snapshot of that era of time, and does it does it suffer if you do go back too far? I think it suffers if you go back too too far, just because of the the age that it came out in ninety two. So if you had like little kids watching, which is like it's kind of like a family like romantic movie almost in a way, <laughs> not really, but it's um. But you get like certain things that came out. Like I, I wrote down a lot of the TV shows I liked. You had Three Men and Rosemary's Baby which mm-hmm. is uh, Three Men and a Baby. You have Silencer of the Lambs. And then they had different strokes, which was just different strokes, but it was just two guys having strokes <laughs> on a couch. So it had a lot of like those types of things. They had like the Star Trek parody. They had, uh, what was it else? The 30-something 30, 30 to life. Like I think that was the perfect timing, so they made it relevant. So now when we watch it, it is ba- It is like the old, old sitcoms and everything for us. So it has like great nostalgia for, for present day. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to move on to Eugene Levy as Crowley, yes. which I freaking love Eugene Levy. It doesn't matter what he's in. Eugene Levy could literally just like open the door, say hi, and walk away, and I'd be like, oh, it's Eugene Levy. But Tim, how was Crowley for you? Crowley was great. It was like uh, Groucho Marx, I felt like, the way he acted and, and looked and uh, all that. If you had to recast this movie as Crowley, I would still have Eugene Levy in that role. He was absolutely perfect in it. I love how he got sucked into the television as well with them um, and like pretty much wanted to help them in a way because he was just sick of Spike and how Spike was treating everybody. So, yeah, his role was like perfect. I think they casted that perfect. I think everything he did, like my, one of the things he said, that I, I like legit laughed at when he goes, when they got the SBI's souls batted in, <laughs> he started laughing. I was like, that is wicked funny for some reason. <laughs> I will say that if they do make this film today and Crowley is in it, he's sending everyone to Shit's Creek, but shit is spelled in a very different way. Uh, yep. But Carrie, how was UG Levy for you in this? Perfect as always. I completely, <laughs> you know what? He is so incredibly great. And I completely agree that he could have just like, popped on the screen for five seconds, said hi, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he is just a gem. And it was so nice to see uh, him in this role. Like, it was just perfect. Yeah. And I think the dynamic, too, between Crowley and Spike really plays well. Like, Crowley is almost like, you know, the antagonist. It's almost like he's pushing Spike to to mess up, right? It's, It's, he's his assistant, but he really doesn't like who he's working for, so he's hoping for that moment. Which brings me to Eric King as Pierce. And I'm just going to, you know, list the six word description I have here. Who the f*** is this guy? So, so Tim, Eric King as Pierce, the guy who eventually takes over from Spike when Spike does mess up. How does this character fit for you? That's funny that you said that. I was thinking about that when I was watching it again last night. And he just comes out of nowhere. And it's like, why is he? He's like an intern. He's very cocky. He thinks he knows what he can do. Like, I don't, I could see this movie being the exact same without him in it. Mm-hmm. And like, like the character was like, he was kind of like a little, yeah, he was like a little annoying a little bit in a way. But yeah, I could see them doing this movie without him. 
Carrie, how was he for you? I'm going to go the other route. I'm going to say I applauded when he finally took over. See, I I like the fact that there's, you know, basically an antagonist for Spike waiting for Spike to mess up. Mm -hmm. It should have been Crowley. But to the same token as well, hear me out on this one here. And if, if we're doing a slight little rewrite on this. So I think it was important that Spike show his power over everyone, not just in the Hellvision world, but on the Hellvision team by sending someone into Hellvision themselves to do quote unquote field work. The fact that Pierce is a film school graduate would make sense for him to be as that almost, you know, Obi-Wan type character to kind of help show them the way a little bit because he would have a better understanding of, you know, the rules of film and television and how to get out of it while Crowley maintained his, you know, pestering of Spike rather than the other way around. But, Tim, for you... If Pierce was the one sent into the world and not Crowley, is it better or worse? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say worse because just Eugene Levy and his uh, um, like charisma just with the Nables and just helping them out would be good. I feel like if Eric, um, what, what's his name again in the Eric, movie? Eric King. Oh, as Pierce. Pierce. So Pierce, he, um, I feel like he wouldn't be as... Um, inept to like push them to do good even though he wanted to take over i feel like he still had a little bit of evil in him um but i think it would have been a little bit worse if he went and that's the thing like he's working for hellvision so he can't really be good per se because you know he's he's batting he's working for the other team here but carrie you know does pierce aside from you know being the antagonist for spike does he what does he bring for you because you seem to not not mind him too much well again his character i mean and it could have been any actor truly in that role it's it's not like no disrespect to the actor who played pierce but i just think having his having his character there um, was important because you had to have a, a third guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Crowley was definitely the right choice to to have that turnabout of character and to decide to help them out. Um, he was pivotal because he he knew he pretty much knew how to win the game. Yeah, right, and and gave them enough information to get through it. Um, but then you had to have the underdog, you had to have that third character to be the one to take over. And I don't know. I mean, maybe if they made a, uh, a, I don't know, a sequel. (laughs) I love (laughs) IPs and sequels. I would love to see Crowley come back and, you know, take over that, uh, that lead role. I I, I, I like the fact that, you know, Pierce shows a little bit of menace, especially when you realize that Eric King is the guy who went on to play Sergeant Dokes in Dexter. And all of a sudden, like, ooh, he, he went real messy there. But, of course, he was also in National Treasure. So if listeners of the National Treasure Hunt uh, podcast will will appreciate that one as well. See, but was I he mentioned... The guy, oh, sorry. oh, sorry. Was, was he the guy that said surprise in Dexter? Uh, yeah, he was the... I can't remember if he, if he was that guy, but... You know, he he was the the menacing cop on the force that was constantly, you know, it was always side eyeing Dexter and you know didn't have a good feeling about him kind of thing, and you know basically was the person that Dexter needed to get out of the way for fear of being caught, at least in the early seasons. Gotcha. Yeah. My only reason is um, I was mentioning sequel because I want to see a world where all of the additional titles that they came up with in the credit scene i want to see those tv series become reality (laughs) 30 years later i want to see the fresh prince the um facts of lifeline (laughs) (laughs) you know you may get your wish but we're going to get to that uh but i want to talk about the kids too david tom is daryl nabel and heather mccomb is diane nabel um tim how were the kids for you in this um, Daryl was pivotal. If without Daryl, it would have been perfect. Uh, I would, it wouldn't have been perfect. Diane, I feel like she didn't need to exist in this movie. I, um, I, she was just like the, the sister that got annoyed by the son and the son, I feel like could have just did everything on his own without even like having to tell her, um, uh, besides her being outside with her friends when the satellite was going off. But 
yeah, I, I like Daryl a lot. He just had that like honey, I shrunk the kids type feeling type kid. Um, just like the backwards hat, the neon bike, like it was perfect. Diane, just again, like I don't, I didn't see like why she needed to be there. There wasn't like a scene where I was like, oh, like well, I'm glad that she was there for that. Like there was never that type of scene, but no. Uh, and another another great uh, 90s like jab was she called him a dweebnik, which I never heard before. She also called him a pizza topping and a pus head. And I was like, she's really coming with those with those slurs. <laughs> Clearly a script written in the early 90s. Uh, but Carrie, how were the kids for you? You know what? I, I liked them. And I, I think that it was pivotal to have both of them, to have them kind of bickering throughout the movie, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. You know, you could tell that the younger brother was just trying to I don't know, egg his sister on and rat her out for things. And um, I just kind of think maybe it was meant to be reflective of the relationship kind of crumbling around them, Um, you know, or the fact that dad literally just sits in front of the TV and isn't really as involved in their lives as he, as he could be. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I mean, you know what, the fact that even though they butt heads and and you could tell that he was just the annoying younger brother um the scene with the bike was hilarious you know Mm. she's like it's a bike it could be any bike Mm -hmm. (laughs) um which which as tim pointed out to me if you watch that scene carefully where the where the bike is getting sucked in um there's a close-up of daryl and you can actually see the stagehand actually holding him up Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, it's what? so funny. It's like you probably didn't see it back then, but like you can clearly see it now, like the HD, and it just it just cracks me up a little bit. <laughs> okay, now I want to go back and watch that specific scene. Um, the hat. Did they ever stumble upon the hat? Because I would have liked for the parents to have come across the hat. It, it is interesting that that the bike didn't come across the parents' way, or something that identified the kids. Also, I'm I'm just curious here. Like I I recognize that they did set up Daryl to be you know a, a bit of a you know a little genius kind of thing in order to be able to you know hack you know basically broadcast out on TV frequencies, which you could do back then. But exactly where did he get the Radio Shack parts to to hack Satan Vision? I'm just yes. curious here. Like they don't sell those parts as Radio Shack. Last I checked, and he goes like the neighbor's house with the with the plugs. Like he wasn't going to electrocute himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Daryl knows everything, and while Diane, yes, maybe not necessarily necessary in this, um, I and, and her character is very much written as. You know, teenage girl, you know, likes to hang out with her friends, may have a boyfriend is, you know, doesn't want her parents to find out that there might be a boyfriend that she gets like. It's very 90s typecast. It's it's not necessarily a a well flushed out role. And that's nothing against Heather McComb. It's just the role. Diane was not needed. There's a bunch of cool cameos in this, though. And Tim, you mentioned salt and pepper. But is there but is there anything that really stood out for you? Yes, was uh was the voice of uh, the game show at the beginning. I knew that voice, and I had to look it up. It's uh, Don Pardo, who's the voice of SNL. He's on The Price is Right, Jeopardy as well. But that voice came out, and I was like, that is like, I know that voice. And I and I knew it was somebody, and I was glad that it was like the voice of the SNL. And I was like, perfect. Carrie, what about you? Like, any cameos that kind of stood out? Again, I was all about the Threes Company <laughs> scene, which was just perfect. And I love how they didn't, it was almost kind of like put in as a tease. Yeah. You know, they didn't have to overplay it. They they didn't have to overstay his welcome. Just have him trip over the couch. The reaction of the two girls at the door. That's it. Done. Move on. Noah was perfect about that, too. He screamed the loudest of, out of any TV show was when he was on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, my inner geek screamed out loud when Captain Lou Albano showed up in the wrestling ring. Yeah. You know, if, if, uh, if you grew up during the rock and wrestling days, you 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 fully applaud any time you get to see Captain Lou Albano. You know, just go watch an old Cindy Lauper music video. Um, you, Carrie, you mentioned that you would love to see a sequel to this. Yes. Yes, I would. According to Wikipedia, there is a, a new adaptation being developed by AMC for this. No way. <gasps> now, 
Do the, tell. That being said, obviously, if AMC is developing it, they're going to use probably the list of shows that AMC has on tap or has produced in the past. And I'm just taking a look here. The Walking Dead, The Mayfair Witches, Breaking Bad, Kevin can go f*** himself. I don't think the Nables last two minutes in that world. Mm. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because right before we started recording... I was sitting here thinking, I don't know, like TV sitcoms kind of died out, I think, personally. I mean, I miss the family dramas, you know, like family ties and, I don't know, um, growing pains. Like, I miss that era of my two dads and, you know, like go on and on and on. Um we don't have that. Like, there's nothing that after dinner I have to rush to the TV to watch. Yeah. And especially nothing that can't be just PVR'd and Netflixed and I can bring it up on demand. Yeah. Right? Um, but it's it's almost sad in a way. Because, I mean, that was such a pivotal memory. It was a, it was a core memory from childhood is the after school sitcom mm-hmm. lineup. Now, now, Tim, I'm going to throw this one to you here, right? Because obviously, you know, what we watch on TV can also be a reflection of the times that we're in. You know, if you if you go watch TV right now, like if you toss, you know, Helen and Roy into like something like Squid Game, um, <laughs> it's, it's not going to be good. Um, do you think this sh- this movie can work in today's television climate? Oh, like Harry was saying, it's kind of tough because there's not a lot of like TV shows that are like that, like like sit down sitcoms and and like dramas and all that. But like what you said, like him going them going through like The Walking Dead, it's like, yeah, they're not going to survive that. Like like what else would they go through? They'd probably go through like a couple cartoons again, probably like a, like a handful of them, like a Rick and Morty type style cartoon. I could see that happening, maybe surviving. But yeah, maybe like all the shows now are just super intense compared to the ones back then. So they would be put through the absolute ringer when it comes to shows now. Can I just say what I miss the most is maybe not even the sitcom or the family drama, but the jingle. Oh, yes. The sitcom jingle. Mm, They were always so perfect for them. Like you heard like two notes. You're like, oh, it's on. Exactly. This family matters. It's on. Yeah. Like (laughs) if, if you weren't ready for an episode of Family Ties. The minute you hear, sha-la-la-la. Like, <laughs> you know, and also for the record, you know, if you didn't, you know, sit down all the way through to the end of the credits for Family Ties so you could hear, sit, Ubu, sit, good dog. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you're so right though, right? Like jingles and show themes, you know, that are directly written for the show and the lyrics kind of feel like, you know, like honestly, you know, you think back to the days of Cheers, right? Where everyone wants to know your name. Songs from shows today don't go on to be cultural lexicon anymore. You know, I think the closest we came to it was when uh, it was Agatha All Along from WandaVision actually hit the top of the Apple download charts. Um, so, Tim, does TV today have that familiarity um aspect of it something that instantly you think of that show does that even exist today i don't think it does you know why it's because uh, we all wanted the uh skip intro button for netflix and hulu and i think that really took away from from jingles and jangles ah oh, damn it netflix that's such a good <laughs> point and it's like it's so true mm-hmm. you know and you, you think to a lot of these shows are almost like mimicking themselves like if you watch like the intro for house with like the you know the the almost ethereal type trip-hop beat with like some abstract visuals and then you go watch any of the new star trek shows like picard and discovery and it's the same thing and then if you watched like the you know the the netflix marvel shows with daredevil and jessica jones it was kind of the same thing all these you know very abstract yet still in that world um visuals like artistic visuals you know, you, you every now and then see a YouTube video of, you know, if Breaking Bad was done in the 90s and it's this happy little song with all these, you know, slow-mo shots of like the characters smiling right before they make the meth. But, but there was a style 
to 80s and 90s sitcoms and family-oriented dramas on TV. And it's just, I don't know if a movie like this works in today's TV climate. You know, it's so interesting you mentioned the sit, boo, boo, sit, because as soon as you did, I was thinking Brooklyn Nine-Nine's not a doctor. <laughs> see, see, there's the thing, right? I don't think if, if anyone's going to bring this back, AMC should not be the studio. Like, if you go to, like, an NBC, you can have something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You can have something like that. Even if something like Disney Plus were to pick up something like this, you could put them into uh, How I Met Your Father, or you could put them into some of those, you know, Disney Channel-type family shows kind of thing. I'm going to put this out to both of you. I'm going to list a network, and both of you say yay or nay. Um, as to who gets this property and do and does you know Helen and Roy survive? Uh, we've already kind of covered AMC, so Tim, I'm going to start with you. Stay tuned if redone by HBO. Ooh, they wouldn't do good, but I like I like that. <laughs> Carrie, HBO for HBO. Um, Keep it in mind they probably end up on House of the Dragon. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Mm. I'd like to see it. Chopped down by Matt Smith and eaten by a dragon. As I mentioned, I want to see more. I, I love this concept. I just think it was so perfect for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in 90, what? 92? 1992. 92. Um, but even 92, I wonder if it was almost kind of like at that point, they were being reminiscent of the years previous. Because by 92, did sitcoms not start to phase out or be replaced more with Starting to, dramas? but not really. I mean, they, they were still there. I mean, obviously, 92, you do have some TV shows that are still in that vein. But I I think the shift is starting. But I, I also ask you this, and Tim, I'll, I'll throw this one to you first. If AMC is developing this, you have to think that AMC shows are going to be front and center in this. If any streaming service or network picks this up, does it not come across as more like a commercial for what's on their station as opposed to um, just a remake of a beloved movie? I was literally just thinking that. I was literally thinking that like this is just an ad for them. So whoever picks this movie up and if they do it, they just gonna it's just gonna be one long ad for their their TV show for their um, their broadcast. Although it's a fun opportunity to kind of be meta mm-hmm. with your own programming and almost kind of like do a completely different spin on it. And again, be very self, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to say self-promoting or self-deprecating all mm-hmm. in one. Like there, there is a thing that networks do and they're, they're known as upfronts and it's basically like their presentation of what's coming up in, you know, the fall season kind of thing shows to expect, you know, and they'll, and they'll put that out in like the summer kind of thing to get people hyped up for what's coming on. Uh, a couple of years ago, 30 rock reunited to basically become the NBC upfront for the NBC uh, schedule that year. I wonder if stay tuned works in that sense in like, this is how we're going to preview what's coming up by putting this, this couple through all of these shows, you know, and that's how they hype things. Sorry, just a side question though. Do we know who the actor We don't know. All, all we know at this point is that AMC is developing it, or at least they have the rights to develop it. Whether it actually happens or not, I don't know. Who would you have casted for it? I, okay, that that's a fascinating one. If I was to cast this today, I think in the role of Helen Nabel, I would probably put Tina Fey. Ooh, I'd have Catherine Hahn. Oh, that would be good too. Maybe it was Agatha all along. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, about you? Who would you put in the role of Helen? Oh, well, um, I, I literally was today old when I found out this was in pre-production, so <laughs> I haven't done my homework, um, nor my casting notes. Um, and again, it's it's a tough call because I think the genre is missing of today. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm respectfully going to uh, decline any answer. I, I, I literally can't, I can't think of... I, Any of the cast. If if I were to put a couple into this, I mean, this is me. The Nables would be, uh, as mentioned, Tina Fey for Helen. And I think I would probably put something like a, um, 
oh god what's his name from how i met your mother who played lily's husband Oh, um, Siegel? Yeah, Jason Siegel. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jason Siegel and Tina Fey together would be an interesting pairing. I was thinking, um, oh, and I can't believe I forget his name, um, from Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, they- Yeah. Yeah, the the, the main guy, yeah. Andy Samberg? Yes, that's it. Clearly, the coffee hasn't kicked in yet, and we can't remember <laughs> names today. But yeah, but Tim, who would you put aside from uh, beside Catherine Hahn though to play Roy? Um, I, I have a couple in mind, but I think off the top of my head, I would go Paul Rudd. Oh, <laughs> love it! A Paul Rudd and Catherine Hahn. Okay, you know what? Tim, just just email AMC a copy of this <laughs> podcast, and you have done their casting for them. I freaking love that. But it has come time to find out who we have picked as our MVPs of this film. Carrie, you kind of alluded to it earlier, so I'm going to throw the mic over to you first. Who is your MVP of Stay Tuned? I'm going to start with an honorable mention that you have seemed to overlook, and I am going to give a shout out to the Rottweiler neighbor dog because he was, you know, clearly they had very good dog handlers, but he was so cute and (laughs) rightfully vicious looking. But I think he was just probably like a big teddy bear when the cameras weren't rolling. Um, So going to give, going to give love to the Rottweiler. Um, But I got to go with Eugene Levy. Really? Okay. Is that a surprise? Did you not see that coming? I I thought you were going to go John Ritter. Uh, That would have been too obvious. Mm, He was great, but no, Eugene Levy, like, again, uh, (laughs) he's so good at being, you know, the baddie turned good, turned like, you know, there's always kind of, I think, a very self, um, not a selfish motive but he's he is very much uh, a character that can play like you know he can turn on a dime but it's whatever works for him mm-hmm. in that in that moment so i i love it i love it because you never know which way he's going all right tim who's your mvp of stay tuned oh man i was gonna go roy as well but she got me i i'm with i'm with crowley on this one without crowley they wouldn't have never they would have never made it back they the way he acted with them it was just perfect but yeah pretty much same sentiments eugene levy crowley mvp and he did have some of the best one-liners in there like some of them are kind of groaner dad joke one-liners but yeah but somehow out of eugene levy it makes sense and it works i'm i'm gonna go off the board on this one here and i'm gonna go with david tom who of course played the son daryl nabel um a, I have to point out that Daryl Nabel in 1999 starred in a TV movie called Holy Joe, where he played the son of John Ritter yet again. But, wow. but there's something about him in this, right? He could have been the annoying know-it-all kid. And yeah, he kind of did know-it-all, um, but not in an annoying way. And there's this moment where he's sitting down with, with, with his mom and kind of explaining the rationale behind him and his sister leaving the house for the night to go hang out with their friends, you know, and that, you know, the, you know, he's got a friend at school whose parents went away for a weekend and they came back all better. That, that is perfectly written kid logic. Right. And at no point was he annoying At no point was the kid written as, you know, bratty at all. Like, he was a genuinely likable kid in the pantheon of, you know, kid heroes of, you know, of movies in the 90s. I thought David Tom did a wonderful job of that. The character was well written. Truly appreciate it because I still think Helen could do better than Roy, but that's just me. But I, I think I think David Tom did a wonderful job in this. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for coming back to the show. I'm going to let you take over for a second here and let us know all about the 2010 Minutes podcast, where we can hear it, and just fill us all in, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me come back, especially with such a great movie. So, I, again, I can't thank you guys enough for having me back on. Um, yeah, my name is Tim McCarthy. I host the podcast 2010 Minutes. That's a podcast that focuses on mental health through humor, insight, and personal stories. I release episodes about 20 minutes on every Tuesday, and on Thursdays I have interviews uh, with the likes of people like Allison Stoner, Gigi Robinson, Dane Cook, and... Um, 
plus like NFL players and stuff like that. You can find me at 20timminutes.com, which is the two zero followed by Tim Minutes with one M. Um, you can find me on social media with the same handle. You can just Google my name. You can scream really loud and maybe I'll hear you, but that's where you can find me. I I have the bullhorn. You know I'm going to be calling you out because, Tim, you, you always have an open spot on this show. So anytime you want to drop me a line, drop me a movie, and come on back on, you're always welcome here. My man. My All man. right. And then, Carrie, thank you so much for you know coffeeing up and hopping downstairs to the basement <laughs> to, to join in on the fun. And to you, our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, you guys know the drill. If there is a film out there that is unfairly maligned or you think it's so bad that there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it hit us up on twitter at not that badcast while twitter still exists or go to our website at not that badcast.com drop us a line check out our coming soon page let us know and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we're looking for those a grades in b movies until next time i'm jason she's carrie he's tim you're awesome this is it's not that bad take care it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.